The following podcast will contain foul language and spoilers, and if we're lucky, sex, violence, nudity, and triggers. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Everett Book Club. We are a twice-monthly book review and discussion podcast specializing in old or out-of-print science fiction and fantasy. My name is Ruiz Tremello, and I am not a superhero, despite rumors on the internet that I started to the contrary. And my name is Marguerite, and I am not the internet. Today we're recording in our hometown in Everett, in a house populated by books and decorated by cats. Marguerite, we've been on the road for this entire season, ever since episode one, mostly kicking around South America and Europe. How does it feel to be home? Ah, so good to be home. It feels great to be home. We have our library, we have our cats, and mostly we have, you're listening to it right now, part one of our season finale. And because it's season finale season, it's time for you know what, Marguerite? I don't know what. Books? I believe you're pointing at something. Uh, looks like it's Jack Vance. That's right, Jack Vance. Do you want to tell our listeners how Jack Vance is our favorite author? He's our favorite author. Amazing. And in fact, we have a special connection to him because he's the reason we met. I don't think he's the reason we met. He's the reason we bonded in the first place the first time we met. It's one of the first things we talked about, for sure. So because we love Jack Vance and he's our favorite author, we decided we'd do Jack Vance for the season finale. And the story we're going to be doing is The Man from Zodiac, published in 1967. And since I have such a terrible memory, I haven't read this one in a very, very long time. I don't remember anything about it. That's excellent news. Today's story is part one of two. If you listen to part two before you listen to part one, then you're doing it not only wrong, but also backwards. Hmm. Now, this story is pulled out of the pages of a collection of stories by Jack Vance called The Augmented Agent. Marguerite, would you be so kind as to describe the cover for our listeners? Sure. So in the background, there is a red planet. In the midground, there is a city. And in the foreground, there is a cyborg punching you in the face. <laughs> He's quite punchy. So why don't we just get right to it with the first sentences of The Man from Zodiac. Go for it. Upon the death of Rudolf Zarius, his nephew Edgar Zarius and his granddaughter Luzianne Ludlow each inherited 46% of Zodiac Control Incorporated. Milton Hack, Zodiac's field representative, owned the remaining 8% of the company. A week after the funeral, Edgar and Luzianne met in the Zodiac offices at Farallon, 15 miles out in the Pacific from San Francisco. Neither held the other in large esteem. Huh. So, we open upon Edgar Zarius and Luzianne Ludlow, the majority shareholders of Zodiac Control Incorporated, holding a meeting. Edgar is described as tall and pale, while Luzianne is a young woman of striking appearance and extravagant tastes. In typical Jack Vance prose, he describes the meeting as follows, quote, The conference was cautious and constrained. In a careful voice, Edgar announced that he was willing to consider the purchase of Luzianne's shares. <laughs> Luzianne gave a casual assent and named a price which aroused Edgar's amazement. You must be crazy, he said coldly. The business hasn't made that much money during its entire existence. <laughs> 
Luzianne glances around the offices of Zodiac Control and says, Small wonder, this place is a stable. A stable? Like a horse stable? It's clearly some kind of farmyard. <laughs> Obviously, changes must be made. I suggest, first of all, that you fire Hack. Ooh, you can't. Oh, wait. Well, he's a shareholder. Yeah, can you 8%. Can you fire shareholders? Yes, you can. Ah. But they still hold shares. Right. Edgar raises his eyebrows and suggests that perhaps Lucianne should be the one to fire Milton Hack. After all, she owns as many shares as Edgar, so why should he have to do it? Quote, Milton Hack, with his 8% interest, represented the balance of power and neither wished to antagonize him. 8%? Yeah, but 46% for the other two. Oh, I thought you meant combined. Okay, that makes sense. He's the decider. It soon becomes clear that both Luzianne and Edgar have tried to buy out Milton's shares, but he refuses to sell. Quote, What a perverse man! Luzianne spoke with unusual heat. She had used all her suasions and urgencies upon <laughs> Hack without visible effect. Do we need a field representative? His duties are so indefinite. What's the company do? Do we know yet? Uh, you don't know, but actually it will come up. Oh, okay. His duties are so indefinite. Why don't we put him to selling or supervising or something of the sort? Edgar shrugged. Why not? And so we have a big quote. Hack was sent out to solicit new business among the planets of the Andromeda chain, a task for which he had no great aptitude. <laughs> Four months later, he returned to Farlon with nothing to show for his efforts but expensive vouchers. Oh, oh man. Do you think he just took a tour of the universe? That's exactly what he did. Mm -hmm. However, Hack arrives back at the head offices to find massive changes have taken place in his absence. They've gotten rid of all the farm animals. <laughs> the old offices are gone, replaced with a brand new building full of fancy holograms, leather sofas, a glittering chandelier, and con oh. contemporary art. Milton admits to himself that the changes were uniformly for the better, but the redecoration was clearly expensive. Yeah. Which, as part owner, he's not too fond of. <laughs> so Milton Hack arrives back at the office and asks the receptionist if he could see Edgar Zarius. He's asked to wait around a few minutes since Edgar is with clients. Do you think he's with clients or he's just pulling a power move making him wait? <laughs> you will find out, All actually. Right. <laughs> Strolling around the lobby, Milton eyes holograms of a dozen worlds, including some that he just came from. Places he knows very well indeed, like Ethelrinda Cordis, with its main cities of Wylandia, Hayring, Colmar, Parnassus, and a few others. But the doors to Edgar's office swing open, and Milton is shocked to see three men from Ethelrinda Cordis step out. Oh my. Unmistakable for their massive size, their flamboyant outfits, <laughs> their 24 dreads. Specifically 24. That's right. And giant noses inlaid mm -hmm. with jewels. Oh, if you got a giant nose, you got to decorate it. That dissolve into patterns that spread across their cheeks. Ooh, pretty. Quote, they stalked past Hack without so much as a glance. Ornaments jangling, trailing a reek compounded of many qualities. I bet you're very jealous of their demeanor and... Flamboyance? Flamboyance. Very much so. The receptionist wrinkled her nose. What ruffians. <laughs> oh, those flamboyant ruffians. <laughs> Milton heads into Edgar's office, where he reports that he has made no new contacts, sold no new contracts, <laughs> and essentially accomplished nothing during his four months away. <laughs> Except got a great tan? I don't know <laughs> what one does on space vacation. He uh, got quite the bill of expenses, what he did. <laughs> yep. 
Edgar's disappointed, saying, quote, Please don't take what I have to say personally. In essence, all of us must do better. This is the symbolic significance of our new premises. Oof. Sick burn. Do better. New vigor. New dedication. A new zodiac. Hack made no comment. <laughs> and Edgar goes on to say that they're losing contracts to competitors left and right. To Etna, to Fidelity, even to Argus Systems. Oh, no, not Argus. Milton replies that Aetna and Fidelity concentrate on low-yield, low-risk contracts, while Argus is almost bankrupt, so they're taking any contract that they can. Uh-huh. Edgar isn't impressed by the rebuttal, and asks for Milton's report on Ethelrinda Cordis, the planet called home by the just-departed ruffians. Quote-unquote ruffians. <laughs> and so Milton gives us a quick info dump going on at great length about the planet, breaking down his report into the continents, cities, and countries, as well as their administrators, Ending by saying, I talked to a group from Sabo on the Pirates Peninsula. They wanted to give us a contract, but I turned them down. Did you say the Pirates Peninsula? The Pirates Peninsula. They should definitely take that. Edgar sat up in his seat. A contract that was subsequently awarded to Argus Systems. Milton replies, it looked like a poor bet. Much grief and no cooperation. <laughs> they are pirates. I bet they're flouncy pirates. Their money is good, Edgar pointed out. <laughs> you don't know that. They're a bloodthirsty lot, said Hack, and devious to boot. It makes a poor combination. That's true. You don't want to deal with devious, flouncy pirates. Yeah, you want professional pirates. <laughs> yeah, trustworthy pirates. Yeah, the kind that you could have a drink with after the that won't pillage, literally village. St- that won't literally stab you in the back. Just in the front, maybe. Yeah, Over- like, a, like a true gentleman. Yeah. We'll stab you in the front. Edgar patronizingly explains... Our function is to provide certain services for which we receive recompense. We are not philosophers or moralists. And he goes on to say that the three people who just left his office were Frones from the country of Fronus on Ethelrinda Cordis. They're also on the Pirates Peninsula. Oh, yep, see, flouncy pirates. And in fact, their home country of Fronus is right next door to Sabo, the place where Milton just turned down the contract. Mm Mm-hmm. Milton asks if they have now signed a contract, and Edgar excitedly declares that they have, sliding the document across the desk. And here's where we find out what exactly Zodiac Control Incorporated does. Oh yes, please. Because Milton looks over the contract and it breaks down into the following. Number one, the creation and administration of an education system for both children and adults. Number two, Creation and administration of an import and export brokerage, which will stock any and all commodities, tools, supplies, or devices of highest quality and lowest possible price. (laughs) Two entirely separate things. As well as, quote, the enforcement of laws, protection of borders, including both offensive and defensive actions against enemies or neighbors, sanitation, disease prevention, healthcare, fire prevention and control, Installation and operation of suitable systems of communication, transportation, water supply, sewage, energy generation, conservation of scenic beauty, and development of natural resources. So they start up and run societies. And anything else similar to everything previously mentioned which might be required. That's exactly correct. They provide governments and infrastructure for societies. Huh. It's actually quite the lucrative business. That seems... Complicated. And quite costly. Yeah. How can new societies afford their services? Eh, I guess through taxes. (laughs) It's basically a government for hire. Right, yeah. Huh. 
Milton Hack looks over the document and quietly asks who wrote it. Edgar replies, someone from their side. Oh, no. Yeah, that's dangerous. He goes on to say that since Milton has visited Ethelrinda Cordis, he's now the one in charge of fulfilling the contract and should leave immediately. Hmm. Edgar also tells him that an operational fund should be collected immediately upon his arrival, but Milton returns only a blank stare, stating that the contract clearly held no provisions for prepayment. What? That's ridiculous. Has this guy never done business before? Well, he just inherited a company, and we don't know what he you did beforehand, so... get a down payment. There's startup costs. So Milton asks for an account of 20,000 credits to work with. When Edgar argues, this seems a rather unreasonable sum. The reserve fund I mentioned, which you will collect from our clients, should suffice. Milton replies that the contract didn't define the meaning of prompt in the phrase prompt reimbursement. Ah, oh, seriously? What's this guy, noob? And the two begin arguing. But Edgar quickly relents when Milton openly muses about selling his shares to Luzianne. Hmm. So he gets his account of 20,000 credits, and off he goes to Ethelrinda Cordis. After a leisurely journey that includes a stopover at Risa... <gasps> there's Risa in here? <laughs> no, there's not, sorry. Oh. Milton arrives on Ethelrinda Cordis, stopping at the city of Wylandia to open up a bank account. He next charters a flight east, and in the air tells the pilot to take him to Grongali, the capital of Fronus. But the pilot refuses, quote, That place is a shithole! <laughs> Hack argued, urged, and threatened. The charterer only smiled placidly, and swinging somewhat to the south, put down at Saprissa, where he discharged Hack with his luggage. Ugh, not Saprissa. So we learn quickly about Saprissa, a city of 20,000 sustained on the exporting of fruit. Milton Hack gets a room at the inn, and in typical Jack Vance fashion, he is served, quote, Fruit, a stew of something like clams and a dark red sauce, garnished <laughs> with nuts and a sour vegetable, seed cake, pale yellow beer, all of which he ate without inquiry or speculation. <laughs> a squeamish man often went hungry on the outworlds. <laughs> no doubt. As dusk falls, Milton finds himself in conversation with a local fisherman, who tells him all the fish of all the seas of Cordis are inedible, but valuable due to their byproducts, such as the jewel fish, whose livers contain beautiful liver stones. Ooh. Quote, profitable, but a risky business, remarked the fisherman. I never know when I put out whether I'll be dead or alive by nightfall. <laughs> wow. When Milton asks why, the fisherman replies, the frones and the sabbles, who else? When they can't maraud each other, they make do with innocent folk elsewhere. How was the marauding today? Maraudingly good. The next morning, Milton tries to hire an air car, but the pilot says that if he sets down in Fronus, he'll never be able to take off again. And when the pilot asks why he wants to go there, and when Milton replies he's bringing government to the Frones, the pilot exclaims, Another? So soon on the other's heels? A pair of hopeful men. I'll do for you what I did for him. I'll drop you off in Parnassus. Then you can cross Cyril Dibden's Stingfield and take your chances. You'll learn about that in a sec. I know I will. And so, the air car flies north across the coastal plains, headed to Parnassus, the private utopia of Cyril Dibden, where two million cosmologists, psychodels, mathematicians, and mentors worked at the creation of a universal metaphysics. Ooh, that sounds interesting. Parnassus is filled with people in togas, and they have lots of 
beer and fruit. Oh, I and... was just going to say, I bet they do a lot of drugs. Yeah, it seems like a kind of paradise, mm. but an intellectual paradise. Lovely. Ruled by a narcissist. Oh. That's exciting, too. <laughs> I guess it spices life up a little. The air car sets down in front of a massive mansion made of marble, and Cyril Dibden himself is waiting. When Milton explains the contract that Zodiac has opened with the Frones, Cyril declares, The situation calls for some reflection. Let us step up to the terrace for a goblet of wine. I like him already. I know. Three comely maidens in white togas bring wine, goblets, and fruit. And Milton thinks to himself he'd rather have a contract with Parnassus than Frone. <laughs> no doubt. Going so far as to suggest it to Cyril, who says, quote, these are the views of the Argus Systems representative who passed by yesterday. Oh. My response was then and is now, no. <laughs> we live a contemplative life. We have neither need nor desire for, quote, efficiency or econ <laughs> economic balance or... Good. We're giving you a government. We won't give you either of those things. <laughs> or rational organization. As I said. That's true. These ideas are the bane of the universe. Give me rather splendid inefficiency, noble irrationality. Well, that's not really a government either. <laughs> <laughs> Very well, said Hack. I can write a contract on those terms. <laughs> of course he can. But Cyril again declines the offer. They don't really seem like they need any kind of uh, governmental type body to run them. Or infrastructure being set up. Yeah, they seem like they're good. Good to go. So Cyril again declines the offer, saying that the Frones are in need of Zodiac services far more. All the better if they can be taught peace and meditation. Ooh, again. I don't think that's the job of a government. Ha. Cyril summons an air car, and Milton gets on board. The pilot is a young man who narrates their journey, taking note of the reverberatory sting field along the border between Parnassus and Fronus. Sounds like a great vacation spot saying that the field heats up weapons until they're too hot to touch, and thus the Frones are dissuaded from attack. Hmm. It's pretty useful, although I'm not sure how that works, but... <laughs> eh, future tech is magic. Magic. They reach the city of Grangali, and the pilot wants to drop Milton outside of town, telling him it's probably best if he buries his belongings, otherwise he'll lose them. <laughs> And as he's walking into town, he's told he should be wary of attack from the outcasts. The left-handed outcasts. Oh, ooh, left-handed. Mm, dangerous. Dangerous. Evil. Milton asks why the pilot just doesn't fly into the center of town, drop him off and leave real quick. And he admits he's afraid of being attacked and worried that if he lands, he won't be able to take off again. Oh, I don't it's think a, I would want to go there. It's a reoccurring theme. But Milton convinces him to land in the middle of the town square, which is a wide open area and not a lot of people around, um, right next to where the public executions take place. Uh-huh. And so the pilot is convinced, drops him off, throws his luggage to the ground, and flies away in mere seconds. True to his predictions, dozens of frones erupt from nearby buildings eager to attack, throwing swords and whatnot at the throwing departing them. Ericar. Just throwing their swords around. A mob immediately surrounds Milton Hack, and when he identifies himself as the Man from Zodiac, also the title of the story, uh -huh. a local responds, We expected more than one man in a few suitcases. Where are the great machines, the weapons, the energetics? You gotta pay for those! Ha! All in good time, said Hack. There is no urgency. I'm here to make a study of your needs and set up a program. 
Ugh, a program. That's going to be expensive. Someone in the crowd responds saying, Unnecessary. We know our own needs. We will explain our program. Mm. And Milton brings out a copy of the contract. And the crowd starts shouting for someone who can read. <laughs> boo! Paper! Boo! Words! Lord Drek arrives, one of the three frones who signed the contract. Quote, As before, he clanked and clashed with a dozen assorted swords, cutlasses, daggers, and poignards as he walked. And his nose was even more splendidly ornamented than Hack had remembered. Oh, you know what? You can't go wrong with a resplendent nose. Drek tells Milton he could stay in a shack next to the latrine ditch. Oh, that's where we should put all our politicians. Ooh, I like that concept. Milton points to a three-story structure and declares he'll need the entire third floor. And Drek protests because that building is the Nobleman's Association. Oh my. Milton says, well, in that case it'll suffice. <laughs> I am a nobleman. And then asks, hey, what about my luggage? What luggage? Drek says, what about your luggage? Just pick it up and bring it along. And Milton says, no, one of you should carry it. Oh no, don't go there. Oh yeah, he goes there. That's how it's going to get stolen. He was warned. Are we your slaves, roared Drek. Milton holds up a child's toy described as a small whirling disc from which darted sparks and green and violet flames. And the frones all jump back in fear. Hmm, this isn't a good way to start. You gotta ingratiate. <laughs> there is no ingratiation here. Nope. Let us reason the matter out, said Hack. You have hired Zodiac Control to organize a government for you. For such a government to function, it must command respect. I represent this government. If I carry this luggage, I forfeit respect. The government therefore fails. You mm. have wasted your time and money. That's various. Secondly, a government is essentially a thing of the people. If you insult the government, you insult the people. I represent this government. If you insult me, you insult yourselves. <laughs> uh -huh. And if I carry the luggage, I, the government, would be shaming and insulting you. It would have been faster if he just carried his luggage. If you have pride, you will carry the luggage. If you do not do so, you make yourself ridiculous. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Lord Drek listened, blinking. I make myself ridiculous if I don't carry your luggage. <laughs> certainly milton responds you traveled to earth to arrange a government if you don't cooperate now that i'm here you become a fool and a laughingstock before all your fellows all of them after a little bit of anger lord drek thinks up a compromise declaring the government can be served by people of low prestige <laughs> you ganson you kurtz bring the governmental luggage steal nothing they're definitely going to steal stuff Drek leads him inside the Nobleman's Association and tries to stick him into a damp chamber in the basement right next to the dungeon. <laughs> Using the government mandate argument, Milton gets set up on the third floor. Drek even helps him to remove unneeded furniture while grumbling that he feels like he's been tricked. <laughs> Milton gets up to some of his old tricks already again. Mm -hmm. Quote, as I understand it, Fronus is now controlled by a council of nobles. True, said Drek, there are nine members to the conclave. None of us yields dignity to any other, and we frequently find ourselves at loggerheads. <laughs> there will be an end to this, said Hack. I will now make the decisions. The conclave of nobles is from this moment dissolved. Oof, that's not going to go over well. Drek made a series of retching sounds, which Hack perceived to be a laugh. 
Uh-huh. Best that you break the news to the conclave itself. Certainly, if you will be so good to convene the group. And although a few members of the conclave aren't in the capital, those who are around are summoned. Milton explains the basic provisions on the contract and tells the group that although the conclave of nobles is now dissolved, he's still interested in their ideas and their input. <laughs> it's quite diplomatic of him. Oh, very magnanimous. One man demands an immediate shipment of radar and autogun turrets. <laughs> no reason. No reason at all. The, I just want them. The next wants the complete destruction of their rival, Sabo. The next Asking a lot. The next says that their first priority should be destruction of the Stingfield so they could raid Parnassus at their leisure. I feel like there's sort of a theme going on here. Yeah, they're basically Klingons. <laughs> Milton listens to them all, then says he needs a hundred thousand credits with the first goals being improvement of sanitation and the creation of an education system. <laughs> so not war. The Frones argue this course, and one noble in particular is very dismissive of the concept of sewers, saying, quote, putting sewage underground changes nothing. Sewage is sewage. <laughs> what? Just leave it on the streets. No one minds. Drek, in the meantime, is dismissive of education, saying, quote, Children are of little use in an ambush, <laughs> or while sacking a village. It's so true. They only get in the way and are killed with the other children. <laughs> it's so true. Guy's got a point. When Milton again requests 100,000 credits to start the program, Drek is outraged. Quote, Money, money, money. Is that all you can think of? How can there be action without the exercising of flexibility? How can there be action without money? By flexibility, you mean what? Milton asked. Your organization must be prepared to allow a certain latitude. In short, assemble your organization, bring in the necessary weapons and vehicles, both <laughs> air and ground, uh -huh. then prepare a statement and present it to us. <laughs> After some haggling and Milton declaring that, you know what, actually a million credits might be more useful, <laughs> Lord Drek eventually writes out a bank draft for 112,000 credits. <laughs> Good haggler. And so we reach the end of part one, before the fun really begins, mm -hmm. with a lengthy quote. Hack took the draft to his communication box and made contact with the Cordis Bank. The draft, so he was informed, had no validity. You got a fake money? Hack turned to Drek. There seems to be a mistake. Only two signatures and a secret mark, grumbled Drek. Turst, Ophia, sign. We are in the presence of a vampire who wishes to suck our blood. <laughs> he wants our money for goods. This is outrageous. Again, Hack tested the draft at the bank, and this time it was confirmed. Thank you, said Hack. You may now go about your affairs. Zodiac is in control. I will make a brief survey, then set up my staff. Feel free to confer with me at any time. After all, until we are more formally organized, I am your government. <laughs> Government should not be one man. And thus ends part one of The Man from Zodiac. Milton Hack is the one-man government of Fronus. <laughs> this isn't going to go well. For who? Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so Milton Hack is, in the usual Jack Vance standard, a very resourceful, well-spoken fellow. Mm -hmm. But as this story develops, you'll find out a few more things about him. Excellent. 
mostly that he's actually not that bright. He's just very good at talking. <laughs> I noticed. Mm-hmm. From when he tried to convince everyone to carry his luggage for him. And it worked. Eventually. Eventually. <laughs> that seems like a lot of work. <laughs> so Jack Vance is our favorite author. What is it about Jack Vance that you love, Marguerite? Mm, so many things. I ah, just his language. He's got a great mastery of language. His prose is amazing. Oh, beautiful prose and detail. There's so much detail. Like I don't know if anyone's noticed, but I often ask questions on these short stories that you don't have answers for. Whereas Jack Vance gives you the little details I like to hear in a story. He's also great at world building and culture building specifically. Oh, yep, yeah, and those. Uh, every once in a while you get just like a beautiful little twist ending <laughs> yeah he's got a bunch of those swift sense of justice i love as well <laughs> the thrones even though they do have some of the generic uh aggressive cliches and tropes of science fiction they also have a lot of flamboyance and uniqueness <laughs> oh yeah i never did mention at the start of this the era this takes place because <laughs> all jack Van stories well not all a great deal of jack Van stories are in the far future well, yeah, his sci-fi ones, anyway. Yeah, and they've humanity spread out across the stars and landed on planets like Ethelrinda Cordis and set up their own little outposts. And hundreds or thousands of years later, they're in very strange or different states. Mm-hmm. And they've developed into weird or distinct places. Oh, yeah. But mostly I love his prose. Oh, yeah, it's lovely. And the food! I know, he always describes the food. It's great great length about food oh and it's not always appetizing a squeamish man often went hungry on the outworlds mm-hmm. <laughs> tune in next week for part two or if you are not listening to this live tune in to our next episode part two this has been the everett book club you can visit us at www.everettbookclub.com email us at everettbookclub at hotmail.com Facebook group is Everett Book Club. We have a Twitter. We barely barely ever tweet. Mm, But we mostly have an Instagram. Instagram all day long. Go to Instagram. Look at our books. If you or your organization are developing an artificial intelligence, Marguerite and I are available to administer Turing tests. Please note, there is no guarantee of accuracy, efficacy, or professionalism. And if you know of any secondhand bookstores that deserve some love, email us and we'll give them a shout out. So, Marguerite, we've been building our very own artificial intelligence here at home, but we've been on the road for so long that we haven't got much work done. It's a downside of traveling around the world. Last time we checked, our AI still thought that killing humans was a good idea. Do you want to try to convince it otherwise or just disable it and start over? It's going to take an arsenal to disable it, though. Ah, oh, that could be fun. It could be a siege that lasts several days. Oh, I love a good siege. Let's do it. Worst case scenario, we'll just have to fire the EMP. We got this. Yeah, we do. 